Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. My name is Jeff Lyle, and I get to be your host as in each of the episodes, and grateful that you've tuned in, especially if you are a first-time listener to Mavericks and Misfits. Count it a privilege to be able to share with you a little bit of kingdom truth and um, never shying away from controversy, but also never trying to be one who's just a punk. So there's no glory in just stirring up stuff. But at the same time, I do want to deal with the things in the kingdom that are oftentimes debated, sometimes hotly debated, and uh, a lot of times just mildly disagreed upon. One of those is this issue I want to talk to you about today. You know, just a couple of weeks ago up at the North Georgia Revival, um, prior to uh, the service, and if you're unfamiliar with the North Georgia Revival, just look it up. Just Google three years of revival with healings, documented healings, with medical professionals documenting them. Um, way too much for me to go in today, but my good friend, Pastor Todd Smith, lets me preach at it about, I don't know, every six weeks or so. Um, my whole family's been touched up there. And uh, just a few Sundays back, it was probably the most intense encounter I've had in years. And it began where before the service, there's an hour time of prayer, pre-service prayer. And I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, um, about to go on vacation, like he didn't know. Um, but I need a touch from you. I just need a touch. I need something extra. And I never asked the Lord that, but I was feeling it so deeply in my heart. And of course, Amy was with me and we prayed. And as we were getting up to go and take communion with some of the other leaders, um, both of us just really began to sense the weight of the Lord, um, in the room. And it just increased and increased and increased. Well, Long story short, for about an hour-long worship set, I had a hard time just getting up off of my knees. I was just so overcome by the presence of the Lord, and it was so beautiful, and it was very personal to me. I felt like he was answering my prayer. And then there was this amazing encounter um, where a, a Jewish, a Russian pastor who ministers in Israel um, was called up on stage by Pastor Todd. Pastor Todd asked me to come up with him. A translator also came up on to the platform and all of this is on live TV on the ISN network. And it was just a really intense moment. I didn't want to be up on the stage to be honest with you. I was, I was just a little out of it to be quite, quite candid. Um, the presence of the Lord was resting on me and it only dramatically increased while this, um, this Russian pastor was speaking through the translator and talking about the word of God and the spirit of God. And then all of a sudden, and you can, if you're interested in stuff like this, you can look it up on YouTube, North Georgia Revival, week 185. It's probably about an hour and 10 minutes into the service. Um, I don't have any other words to describe it, so I'll just tell you what happened. I mean, I, the, there was something that was said on the pulpit, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit and the presence of God, that's probably the way I, I would put it, the presence of God became so heavy that literally my legs buckled, and I fell out. I fell out in the Spirit, laid there, um, the Russian pastor also fell. Um, Todd Smith, Pastor Todd, uh, kind of evacuated the stage. Eventually, the interpreter had to sit down. Um, some in the band sat down, and the presence of God just rested on the room with about seven, seven, eight hundred people in the room. It was just really, really intense. Um, 
And from there, many things happened, not the least of which was a 16-year-old boy who had been in a wheelchair got up and ran around the building. I saw him the next night and still not in the wheelchair walking around stunned that God had healed him where he had had an adverse reaction to some medicine that was injected in him and it had it had crippled him he had been in a wheelchair for months and that night he was touched and healed and he's done with a wheelchair so the presence of God was huge now it was a really long introduction to what I want to begin to talk to you about in this episode of Mavericks Misfits probably won't get done with it but these manifestations of the Holy Spirit um, these issues where um, many of you have seen it. Some of you believe in it. Some of you have experienced it. Others of you are skeptical. Some of you are just maybe outright against it. Um, people falling out in the spirit, um, commonly referred to as being slain in the spirit or among the younger generation, they kind of crassly call it getting wrecked, whatever you, whatever you call it. But it's the phenomenon where a person who is in some kind of experience with the Lord either falls backwards or falls forward and um, is in a state of semi-unconsciousness or full unconsciousness for a period of time. So my question that I want to present to you is, is there any biblical reason why we should believe this is authentic? Is there any biblical reason? Because it happens in parts of the charismatic community frequently. And non-charismatics look at it, having never experienced it, maybe being a little skeptical about manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They would say, that's false. But let me tell you recently a note that I got from a man who I used to pastor uh, back in my Meadow Baptist days. Um, I'll not call his name, but it's pretty obvious he's at least listened to some of my podcasts because he references something I said into it. And this dear man has a heart for God, or at least I hadn't talked to him in five or six years, but... When I knew him, he had a great heart for the Lord, loved the Lord, loved the Word of God, was saved out of a cult, had been entrusted with some incredible difficulties with a sickness that um, seized his wife, um, had experienced some true brokenness in the kingdom through losing a business, and um, he just kept pressing on for the Lord. And so I've always had much respect and admiration for him, and just hadn't talked to him in a long time. And um, I had posted a verse on Facebook from second Timothy one seven, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And, uh, he just commented on it and he said, discipline and self-control. This is quoting him. Where, where is that that you have quoted from the scripture when you have had encounters in the Holy spirit that left you unable to walk or talk for hours? I am very concerned for you. Makes me pray for you to keep from being dictated by the angel of light. He's referring to Satan. He says, being under control in the powers of darkness and principalities in heavenly realms where Satan lurks to tempt those that have encounters like such that leaves them in the state of no self-control or being able to discipline themselves to turn to the Lord in the hour of their temptations. Um, he didn't word it awesomely, but you get the gist of what he's saying. He's saying, why are you quoting this verse about God giving us a spirit of power and love and self-control when you're having these encounters in the Holy Spirit that you've mentioned? And he references uh, a statement I made in a previous podcast about 
being overcome at times by the Holy Spirit, not regularly, not even frequently, but there have been times where I've been unable to walk or even talk for a couple of hours. That talking was especially happened in Greenville, North Carolina, and I couldn't talk for about two hours. And what he's saying is, why are you talking to us about self-control when you're having these supposed encounters with the Holy Spirit that, um, you know, you're not in self-control. You're not able to walk and you're not able to talk. So what he's doing is he's, you know, he's publicly casting dispersion or aspersion on, um, you know, these encounters with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, in essence, Jeff, I'm praying for you because I think you're getting deceived. I think you're being deceived by the angel of light. I think you're, I think you're falling under the temptation of, of the enemy. So that's not an uncommon response. I mean, it really is. And I don't find any fault um, with my former friend. Um, I'd, I'd still be his friend. He may be discouraged about where I'm at, but I get it. I used to be that guy. I was a denominational Baptist, and I thought all this stuff from the Holy Spirit was just nonsense. Um, I would have told you in a heartbeat it's unbiblical. It's antichrist. It's demonic. And the problem was, is I would have said all of those things, having never studied it out in the scripture to see if it's even possible for a person to have an encounter with God, which leaves them prostrate. I mean, that's the real question. And so, you know, most of us, most of us have heard of the experience commonly referred to as being slain in the spirit. Or like I mentioned earlier, falling out in the spirit or the young guys calling it getting wrecked. And what typically these phrases are describing is some kind of encounter in the Holy Spirit where the power from heaven invades a particular setting like a church service or a prayer meeting or something. And the result is that some physical manifestation happening to people is visible and observable. And, you know, more often than not, there's the visible activity of maybe people shaking their hands or legs. By the way, if you do the research in history, we've all heard of the Quakers. Well, the reason why they were called Quakers and Shakers is because they had manifestations of the Holy Spirit during revival times where they quaked and they shook. Just look it up. Google Shakers and, um, you know, the religious context of it. And so during these shakings and quakings, these people sometimes would either fall forward or they fall backwards to the ground. And sometimes for like lengthened periods of time, the individual would be immovable or unable to stand up or to walk. And you can go read read revival histories, guys. This has not just happened in the last 30 years. You go read the revival histories in America. Great Awakening, Cane Ridge Revival. Just do the research. But you're going to find historical accounts of weeping, nonstop, crying, howling, travailing, or in some cases, even long periods of laughter. And, you know, all around the world today, these type of manifestations are frequent. And they're non-controversial in many segments of Christianity and other places. But in America, you know, where we are addicted to controlling and explaining everything, that, you know, people are very, very skeptical. Um, now let's give the benefit of the doubt too. I want you to think about my friend and think about maybe you as you're listening. I want to give you the benefit of the doubt if you don't believe in this stuff, because the truth is these types of physical displays are, they can be unsettling to those who've never previously observed them or have never experienced them personally. But here's the thing. Ultimately, the foundational question is whether or not these types of manifestations are actually of God. Because as a Christian, you know, as a true believer, we, we all want to receive anything that God is offering us, 
But we also want to refuse any kind of substitute or counterfeit. So here's my question for this podcast, and I'll probably end up doing a second segment on it because I want to give you some examples in the Bible where it's very clear that the presence, the, the, the kavod, the glory of God, the doxa, the kavod, it's a Hebrew word. It means weight, the weight of God, the glory of God, straight up knocks people out. I mean, it's in the Bible. That's what's so amazing to me is people, you know, protest this and say it's, it's the devil. You better be careful. <laughs> you better be careful. I was talking with Amy earlier today. By the way, I'm at the beach. I am right now looking through um, a sliding glass door. I'm looking at the Gulf of Mexico. If you, can, you might even be able to hear the waves. I'm not sure if the microphone's picking them up or not, but Amy and I are at the beach. We were talking about this, and we were just you know, talking through it, recognizing that, man, when you start saying that something the Holy Spirit is doing is of the devil, you had better be careful. Uh, Google blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Just find out what Jesus talked about, what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was, and you're going to find out it's in reference to attributing the works of God to Satan to the point where your heart is hardened and you can't receive the work of God. Very dangerous ground there. So I tell everybody, be real cautious about how you verbalize your skepticism about these kind of things, because ultimately the Bible has to answer skepticism. And so when we look at the Bible, here's the question, would the Holy Spirit ever move among people in such a way that these displays of shaking or falling or crying are falling out? Could it ever be facilitated by God? Do the scriptures reveal or do they even support such occurrences? And guys, what about church history? I've already mentioned some of it. Have the people of God actually experienced these things in the multiple centuries since Pentecost? And so what I want to do is I just want to spend a little bit of time um, looking at the Bible because that's what we do on Mavericks and Misfits regularly. Um, let me preface something just to let you guys know that I'm not saying every single thing that says it's a manifestation of God is definitely of God. Okay. Avoid operating in extremes. What we're trying to determine here is, is there a biblical precedent? And if there's biblical precedent, then what should we say when we supposedly encounter these people, people like me, <laughs> who say that under the presence of the Lord, they fell out? Are they manifested? Are they wept? Are they couldn't stand? Because if there's biblical precedent for it, both the Old Testament and New Testament, then we need to be very careful about telling God what he can or cannot any longer do. You follow me? And let me add this. Anything that God has ever done, Satan endeavors to counterfeit. Satan's unoriginal. He's the unoriginal enemy. His tactics primarily originate in taking whatever God is doing and then perverting that until the proverbial baby is tossed out with the bathwater. That's what Satan does. He, he takes what God is doing and then he tries to pervert it so people will run away from what God is actually doing. Satan distorts valid theology by using human instruments to tweak Bible doctrines to the point where undermining questions arise about those doctrines. Um, guys, think about it. The, you, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that's not a subtle topic in the New Testament. I've dealt with those in multiple sessions of Mavericks and Misfits. And so they're all over the New Testament, yet because of the abuses of these gifts by humans, now the gifts themselves are suspect by a large section of the body of Christ. Same thing could be said about the Lord's Supper. 
people misrepresent and misuse the Lord's Supper or water baptism. So and in these instances, Satan doesn't work to completely deny the existence of the validity of these things. But however, he has diligently worked for centuries to insert confusion and division about these practices so that they're now no longer viewed in a biblically uh, orthodox manner by large contingents of believers across the globe. Um, I would also have to say this, you know, just being fair, uh, I would consider myself a charismatic Christian um, because I believe that's what the Bible teaches, the charismata, the gifts of grace, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Roman, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, it's all there. Um, they're in the Bible, but let's just be honest, especially some of you that are in charismatic circles, that the, there's also another undeniable reality that a lot of people pursue in their flesh manifestations of God's power and presence. And these are immature believers. And they're either consciously or subconsciously generating their own, quote, experiences with God, all the while God himself is not actually facilitating whatever those experiences might be. So yeah, it can be faked in the flesh, absolutely. But so can a lot of gifts. Um, listen, I've said this before. You never determine the validity of a gift or experience based on how it's abused. You go to the Bible. What does the Bible say? So I would like to do that. And so let's, let's just answer the question. And specifically, falling out in the spirit. Um, that was the protest of the guy on my Facebook page. That was the massive experience that I had just a couple of days ago, um, well, by the time this goes on the air a couple of weeks ago, at Christ Fellowship and the North Georgia Revival. So is falling out in the spirit a legitimate possibility? Is it legit? Well, how about, what would you think if I told you the very first human being that God ever made experienced an encounter with God that knocked him completely out? Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed it up in place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. So just hold on a second, because I can hear some of you automatically assuming this is not that. This is not that. Well, hold on. Let's just look at what it is. God moved upon the first human he ever created in a manner that resulted in Adam being supernaturally placed into a deep sleep. We're not told how God accomplished this, but so deep was this effect on Adam that God actually was able to perform a physical surgery by taking Adam's rib, and from that rib, he fashioned Eve. So for those of us who simply let our Bible say what it says, we conclude that the first human, Adam, experienced a state of unconsciousness due to God's interaction with him. So let's flash forward from Genesis 2 to Genesis 15, and we have a man named Abram. And I could read all of these verses, but Genesis 15, verses 12 through 21, is commonly displayed as the Abrahamic covenant getting ratified. But in, in verse 12 of Genesis 15, it says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then verses 13 through uh, really 21, God, while Abram is in this deep sleep and great 
dreadful darkness falls upon him. God initiated all that, and God makes the unilateral Abrahamic covenant with Abram after God put Abram out. And guys, this is so important. Again, that's Genesis 15. This passage reveals the mode which God chose to communicate to Abram the most important covenant of the people of faith, which is the Abrahamic covenant. And so this covenant from Yahweh to Israel is still in effect today. It's a unilateral covenant. So in other words, this covenant did not depend on Abraham, but solely upon God's faithful promise to him. And the Lord literally initiated an experience of deep sleep to find Abraham while he's in the deep sleep state. Abraham experienced what seems to be this overwhelming enormity of what God was doing. Remember, Abraham was asleep, but he understood that a dreadful and great darkness was upon him. So it is a totally supernatural experience. It wasn't that Abram was tired because he had had a long day and while he was sleeping, um, you know, God does this covenant thing. No, it's that this was a supernatural sleep and God initiates and communicates to Abraham the covenant. God's actually talking to Abraham while he's got Abraham out. And he's in this conscious, unconscious, semi-state. And God, I mean, ultimately, guys, God knocked him out. Um, what, about, what about this? Some of you will hate this example because it's not a godly person. But again, I'm just addressing the fact that God, biblically, has knocked people out by his presence. You got Numbers 24 and the prophet Balaam, who's a rebel, by the way. And this is what Balaam says, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered, falling down. Now, look, Balaam was no exemplary prophet. Okay, I get that. Frankly, he was a rebel. He was a rogue. He was a renegade. But God chose to use this unfit man to accomplish his divine purposes. If you're not familiar with Balaam, he was a Jewish prophet that was hired out by a pagan king to use his prophetic powers to actually curse the Israelites. And Balaam agreed to do so, so he could make money. But every time Balaam opened his mouth to curse God's people, God took Balaam's tongue and pronounced a blessing upon them. It's, it's incredibly supernatural. And Balaam's describing this in the words that I just read. And he's highlighting that God used him as an oracle in those moments, gave him visions, caused him to fall down. Guys, and by the way, it's not the only time in Scripture you can find in the New Testament, and if I have time, I'll go to it, that this is not the last time that God would bring people to the ground who were not committed to his honor. Um, here's a good one. Um, I'm going to try to get this in. This podcast will be a little bit longer, but rather breaking it down. I'd rather go just not make you wait a week for part two. But Second Chronicles 5.14, just this, this is the dedication of the temple. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. And you can go on and read again about that in, in 2 Chronicles 6 and, of course, down into, into chapter 7. Um, just, I want you to get this. The priest could not stand to minister. Guys, if there's anything that descriptively parallels what we see today falling out in spirit, what happened to me just a couple of weeks ago at Christ Fellowship Church during the North Georgia Revival, this is the way the Bible says it. Don't argue with me. This is the way the Bible says it. 
that the presence of the Lord filled the temple so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So God manifested his presence, his glory, at such a level that the priests were unable to physically stand. There it is. You can blow off the, what I said about Adam, blow off what I said about Abraham, blow off what I said about Balaam, but you're going to have a hard time making this be something other than what the Bible says it is. And so, you know, and this is in King Solomon's day, and we're told that the presence of God filled the physical structure of the temple. His presence, his glory in the form of a visible cloud fills the temple, and it could be observed, and it continued to increase in its intensity. And then God had decreed that these priests should serve him there, but they become so overwhelmed that they, the Bible says they could no longer physically stand. Now, guys, listen, there's zero margin for misinterpreting this encounter. It's right there. Second Chronicles 5.14. The presence of God becomes so intense that those who were in proximity to his presence could not remain physically upright. God's weighted glory brought them to the ground. Now, I'm going to give you these next two examples, Ezekiel and Daniel. Um, pretty, pretty intense stuff. And I know this is all Old Testament. Give me a minute, okay? Come on. I'm sorry. I'm in a debate mode right now because I'm thinking of, you know, the debating spirit from the Facebook post. I'm not trying to be, you know, you know, negative or anything. I'm just saying, guys, look, I'm a Bible believer. And if you're going to tell me something's demonic, if you're going to tell me it's not of God, then bring me all the scriptures that say, if you fall down, it's demonic. Because what I'm doing is I'm bringing you scriptures of godly people, minus Balaam, godly people that in God's presence could not stand up because God's presence was so heavy. And it's not everywhere. It's not happening every chapter, everywhere in the Bible. But how many times does it have to happen before we stop saying it can't happen? <laughs> Ezekiel 1. So Ezekiel, in chapter 1, he's seeing Jesus Christ pre-incarnate on the throne of heaven. He's either seeing the Son or the Father. Um, I say it's the Son because in Ezekiel one twenty six he says, He's seated above the likeness of the throne was the likeness of someone with a human appearance. And then it goes down and it describes this and he says, Downward. From what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness all around him. Like the appearance of the rainbow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Now, follow with me here. In Ezekiel 1, he says, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So he's seeing the glory of the Lord. Next verse, when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard the voice of one speaking. He said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And he spoke to me as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. Hello. That is intense. No question about it. Ezekiel's telling us in the scripture, I was in the presence of the Lord seated upon his throne. His glory overwhelmed me. I fell down on my face and then the spirit of God enters me and gets me back up on my feet again so I could hear him speak. It's not the last time that happened to Ezekiel. Two chapters later in Ezekiel 3, 23, 22 and 23 says the hand of the Lord was upon me and he said, arise, go out into the valley and there I will speak with you. So I rose and went out in the valley and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the Kabar river and I fell on my face. So the glory of God puts people on their face sometimes. 
It shouldn't surprise us. People meet angels in the Bible and they fall on their face. How much more should we expect that if you're in the presence, the visible manifest presence of the glory of God, that the weight of God's presence going to bring you to the ground? And these, this is Ezekiel, man. He's not like, you know, some renegade. He is a sold-out prophet priest. Now, listen, I want to make sure you know this. Some of you won't know this, so this will be a, a teaching moment, but it's noteworthy that the English word glory translates the Hebrew word kabod. This, this Hebrew word kabod. And by the way, it's used like 200 times in the Old Testament. And the literal translation of kabod, which we read as glory in our English Bibles, but the Hebrew word actually means weight. Weight. Not, not W-A-I-T, but W-E-I-G-H-T. The weight. So when someone encounters the glory of God, they encounter his weight, his heaviness, his immensity. And for Ezekiel and others, so profound is the spiritual reality that in Ezekiel's case, he's falling on his face in two separate occasions as he encounters the powerful presence of God. And interestingly, while he's on his face on the ground, God's talking with him which is similar to what God did with Abram back in Genesis 15 when he's giving the Abrahamic covenant while he's knocked Abraham out. And so from beginning to end in these two accounts in Ezekiel, he's overwhelmed by the weighty presence of God and it results in the physical manifestation of Ezekiel falling down. Then Daniel, y'all still with me? Come on, hang in there. This is good stuff, man. And some of y'all need to know this. By the way, if you want a copy of these notes, email me at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. Jeff at maverickmisfit.com. I'll send you the notes that I'm working off of. I'll be happy to send them to you. So let's talk about Daniel. In Daniel chapter number eight, all throughout chapter number eight, he's, he's encountering the Lord. And listen to the way Daniel describes this encounter. He came near to where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and I fell on my face. But he said to me, and by the way, this is an angel, understand, O son of man, that the vision is, is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. And then in verse 27, he says, I, Daniel, was overcome and I lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. I love this. I love this. I love this. So Daniel, the godliest man of his day, has an encounter. And I'm 99% sure this was an angelic encounter in Daniel 8, Daniel and Daniel 10. But in Daniel 8, the encounter just with the angel puts him on his face, puts him in, in Daniel's words, a deep sleep with his face to the ground. Then the angel touches him and he's overcome. And it was so overwhelming to Daniel that it messed him up for some days. How many? I don't know. It just says I was sick for some days. And then he says, I had to get up, go about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Hello, friends. I want you to know something. It's a mark of humility. When you can say God reserves the right to give me an experience with him that I do not understand and it'll mess me up. I guarantee you, if Daniel had posted this on Facebook, people would be like, you got a demon, son. <laughs> you, you need to get delivered. You, Satan has exposed you to his dark powers. But that's not the Lord. And yet it was the Lord. It was straight from heaven. 
And it reads just like somebody falling out today. But there are people today that will tell you if you fall out in the spirit, it's because Satan's got you. You're deceived. God doesn't do that. That's never the Lord. We'll tell that to Daniel when you get to heaven, okay? Because Daniel's writing it down. It's in the word. Daniel chapter 8. Read it yourself. By the way, Daniel chapter 10. I was left alone, Daniel says, and I saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. There you have it again. I don't really have to pound this. Daniel again has an encounter. Changes the way he feels, changes the way he looks. He says, I retain no strength because he retained no strength. He falls on his face into a deep sleep and did not come out of it until a hand touched him and set him trembling on his hands and knees. It's a physical manifestation of falling out in the spirit. And Daniel experienced it and God initiated it. That's why it's so important that we're biblically informed on this stuff instead of just these foolish um, ignorant slash arrogant answers that say, well, if that happens to somebody, it's the devil. You've got to be careful with what you start ascribing to Satan. Um, and again, I said at the beginning of the broadcast, Satan counterfeits everything that God legitimately does. But what I'm, what I'm tired of is people saying, if you have experienced this, that's always the devil. Because it wasn't for Daniel. It wasn't for Ezekiel. It wasn't for Abram. It wasn't for Adam. It wasn't for Balaam. You know, and this is just an angel, by the way. I mean, if this happens with an angel, imagine what's happening when it's the actual kavod of the glory of the Lord. So let me finish with this. What about the New Testament? Uh, I mentioned earlier that there were some enemies of Jesus that when Jesus began to disclose himself, uh, they fell to the ground. That's pretty, pretty apparent. I don't have time to go through all that. You know the story, John 18, Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus declares that he is, I am. And all the soldiers that came to arrest him fall backwards and fell to the ground. That's power. That's the presence of God. Jesus declares his identity. I am. And it knocks the enemy on the ground. But what about, what about his people, people, not his enemies. What about his people? Well, I'm glad you asked. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17. You got Jesus on the mountain with Peter and James and John. And Jesus begins to be transfigured before them. That's when his, remember his face shines like the sun, his clothes become brilliantly white. And then Moses and Elijah show up and Peter freaks out. And he says, oh, it's good that we're up here. I'm, let me make three tents. One for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And as soon as he says that, the Bible says in verse number five of Matthew 17, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Glory, it's the glory cloud of God. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, how did the disciples respond? When the glory cloud hits and the voice of the Father speaks, it says, When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. And Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. So, listen, guys. Here we go again. God the Father speaks. And the result is that the three closest disciples of Jesus end up on the ground and they remain there until Jesus allows them to rise back up. Now, granted, some of you would say, well, we, they just simply bowed in a human willingness. But the intensity of the supernatural occurrence 
does not make it easy to believe that they just bowed down in reverence. They were knocked to the ground by the voice and the glory of God. And I'm just going to be bold here. If you think you can stand up in the presence of God's glory when God speaks and God's manifest himself, if you think you can stay standing, you are proud and you ought to repent. Because I'm going to tell you, it put Peter, James, and John on their face. And if you think that you can be in the presence of God and maintain your posture, then you are running straight against everything that scripture says. You say, well, Jeff, I've never had it occurred. Well, maybe you've never been in the manifested presence of God. I'm not saying, I mean, God's omnipresent. There's never a place that God isn't, but his presiding presence is greater than his omnipresence. His presiding presence carries with it intentionality. It means he's showing up to do something. I'm going to tell you, I spent years and years in denominational Christianity and never experienced the presiding presence of God. But then when I started seeking the presence of God, lo and behold, I started encountering God and these encounters that I've had. And some of them, yes, have put me on my face. Some of them have left me unable to talk and unable to walk. Absolutely. I'm not ashamed of that. Why? Because it's all in the Bible. It's right, it's right there. And so if it's there in the scriptures validated, why can it not be a valid experience in our lives today? The only reason is because you don't believe in it. You would have to say, well, I just don't believe that occurs anymore. Well, that's fine. That's fine. You don't, you don't have to believe in it and you'll never experience it. But for those of us that actually look at the Bible and say, well, he's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. If he did it then, there's no reason he can't do it now. And just because you say it can't happen doesn't mean that I'm going to run from the experience or attribute it to the enemy. And so in John 18, you've, we've already talked about that. They fell down. Um, you've also got the soldiers outside the resurrection tomb. When the angel appeared, they fell down. The Bible says they became like dead men. Well, that's got to mean something, okay? When all these people are falling down in Scripture, it's got to mean something. And we can't just blow it off and say, well, that's, that's just not, that's not us. Really? What about Paul? He was Saul on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter number 9. And then he recounts the episode in Acts 22. What do you find out? That when Jesus manifested himself to Saul of Tarsus, it knocked Saul to the ground. Straight up knocked him to the ground. It's probably the most dramatic conversion in the entire New Testament. And when the resurrected Son of God appears to Saul of Tarsus, his presence, the presence of Jesus, it turns Saul inside out. The bright glory of Jesus blinds Saul's eyes, knocked him off the animal he had been riding upon, and lands Saul face down in the dirt. What's crazy is other people with Saul, they saw the light, they heard the noise, but they did not experience what Saul experienced. Now, this is an important detail. Why? Because it teaches us that God can move in such a way that people that are in the same location at the exact same moment can experience what God is doing on differing levels of intensity. Saul was blinded and knocked down, but his traveling companions seemed to experience no visible impact. Keep that in mind. Just because you're in a room and somebody's manifesting or falling out in the spirit and it's not touching you doesn't mean it's not God. And it doesn't mean that they're faking it. It just means that God is showing himself to them in a way that you're not experiencing. And humility says, wow, I hope that they are getting touched by the Lord in a profoundly transformational way. Pride says, well, that can't be real because it's not happening to me. Well, I'm going to tell you this. Um, it doesn't have to happen to you for it to be real. But if you don't believe it'll ever happen to you, you're probably right. You're probably right. God reserves the right to move however he wants, whenever he wants. But if you don't believe in this stuff, of course you're probably not going to experience it. Now, what, what's crazy 
as immediately following this staggering encounter with the resurrected glorified Messiah, <laughs> Saul was so impacted that he couldn't eat, he couldn't drink, and he couldn't see for three days. It's kind of like Daniel. Remember Daniel said, I was sick for some days. It wrecked them. Now, eventually, you know, God sends, Jesus sends Ananias to come and, you know, deliver Saul from the blindness, and he, he goes on, you know, to become the Apostle Paul. Um, guys, this truth should caution us from the danger of presuming that because it doesn't happen to me, it cannot happen with others. You know, I don't have enough time. I'm just not going to be able to finish this. Maybe I could have made it two episodes, but if you want the notes, the full notes, stuff I can't cover... I would like to say that in Acts 10, you know, Peter's having an encounter with God and he goes into a trance, sees the heavens opened. This is Peter. And it happened three times to him. He hears the voice of God. He goes into a trance. He sees a sheet in the trance. He gets his mission uh, from the, the Holy Spirit. Says, hey, look, go with these Gentiles that are down there knocking on the door. So all this supernatural manifestation stuff, it's in the Bible, guys. And the only, show me in the Bible, not, not in your denominational history, not in your tradition. Most of you that are listening, you believe in this stuff. But I'm trying to equip you to loving, lovingly go after the unbelief of people who just say, because I said so, it doesn't exist anymore. Because I said so. Because my pastor told me. Because my seminary professor t- told me. Because I've never experienced it, therefore it can't be real. Do you know how arrogant that is? To believe that you have experienced all that can be experienced from the infinite, immeasurable, and unfathomable God. That because you haven't experienced it, you're the, your experience or lack of experience is the litmus test for what is valid in the kingdom. Do you know how arrogant that is? My goodness. I mean, all of this stuff, New Testament and Old Testament, you know, I would just say that, you know, even in the back of the Bible in Revelation 1, John writes this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is the resurrected, glorified Jesus. John says, I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's pretty intense. John is seeing Jesus and he says, it knocked me off my feet and I felt dead. And Jesus put his right hand on John and said, fear not, I'm the last of the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive evermore. And so I guess we'll just end there. My, it's my final example in the New Testament. I just go to the very last book of the Bible. So the first book of the Bible has got Adam put under a deep, deep sleep by the presence and the will of God. Last book of the Bible, John the Beloved sees Jesus Christ on his face. And then all the ones I mentioned in between Genesis and Revelation. And guys, you, you just can't, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I probably sound like I'm arguing. I'm really not arguing. I just hate unbelief. And I hate religious blindness. And frankly, um, I hate any kind of spirit, system of belief, human spirit, evil spirit, that dares to tell God what he can and cannot do and then looks to tell people that if you experience something that I've not experienced or I don't believe in, you've got a demon. I fear for people who say that. There's a well-known California pastor that I believe has been perilously close to blaspheming the Holy Spirit with his railing against charismatic belief system, saying that the works of the Spirit 
are probably the works of Satan. That is so close. And so when we look at this stuff, we just have to recognize God is big and doesn't ask your permission. So if you've never experienced these things, I would tell you this, pursue Jesus. Don't experience, don't, don't pursue an experience, pursue Jesus, pursue the presence of the Lord, pursue the glory of the Lord. I'm not advocating going around saying, I'm going to, I got to stand in line. Somebody lay their hands on me so I can fall out. You don't find that in the Bible. What you find is people that are hungering and thirsting after the presence of God. And sometimes when the presence of God manifests in a way they go out, it's in the Bible. And so I hope that you've been at the very least challenged. I hope some of you've been encouraged. And if you would like a copy of these uh, episode notes, email me at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. My time is beyond gone. Thank you for extra 15 minutes today. Keep tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. Review us, rate us, and feel free to reach out to me personally at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. Let me know any thoughts you have or ideas for upcoming episodes. My time is gone. Hey, the ocean is calling my name. I'm going to go jump in. We'll see you later. Have you gotten a copy of Jeff's book? His autobiography, titled Figuring It Out As I Go, shares Jeff's journey from being abandoned at childhood to journeying through the maze of addiction as a teen and young adult, into his supernatural deliverance at the age of 24, and then into the fascinating pilgrimage into the depths of the Holy Spirit. Order your copy today at jefflyle.com or anywhere online where you buy books. You can also hear Jeff narrate the book by ordering an audio copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at audible.com.